to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 76. It was great having my new co-host, Scott Dalgleish, on board for the last episode, and he'll be back again. However, for this one, you're stuck with me. But we do have a great interviewee. When Todd Walker was appointed Principal and Vice-Chancellor at the University of the Highlands and Islands in February 2021, he started the role in the strangest of circumstances. Based in Australia, lockdown prevented his relocation to Inverness, and so he spent several months leading the university from a desk at home on the other side of the world, having to cope with a huge time difference. But Todd is now in situ and very much enjoying the challenge of developing this young and ambitious university that has campuses scattered across an area the size of Belgium. I was delighted to interview Todd in front of a live audience on the 2nd of November 2021 as part of Scottish International Week. Todd tells the story of his career with great thoughtfulness and humour, and it's a really good listen. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe to the series? Simply search for Scottish Business Network on Apple Music, Spotify, or the podcast platform of your choice. A very warm welcome to you all, and a particularly warm welcome to Todd Walker, Principal and Vice-Chancellor at the University of the Highlands and Islands, and very much fitting in with the, the theme of Scottish International Week, Todd He's an Australian uh, who has now obviously moved to Scotland. And uh, Todd uh, Walker is a bit of a Scottish name, but I believe there is actually a, quite a strong Scottish connection through your wife. Um, thank you, Fraser, and thank you for the invitation to be here today. It's a wonderful occasion, and congratulations to um, uh, you know to the conference and the symposium so far. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, Walker is a Scottish name. I, I can't claim any heritage myself. It would be nice to know I was the heir of the shortbread um, <laughs> empire. No, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, in fact, um, the, we do have some Scottish heritage. My wife, um, her great-grandmother, uh, was a Sutherland and... Um, uh, you know, part of coming over here is the opportunity to explore some of that heritage. We have a centre of history, so maybe I'll connect my wife and the centre of history and, you know, they, they can explore a little bit further uh, her ancestry. So we'd be looking forward to that. Now, lockdown has obviously been a very strange time for, for, for many people, but particularly for yourself, Todd, well, since February, I imagine very strange because that's when you became principal at the university. But because of the restrictions you weren't actually able to leave Australia uh, mm. for several months and move across to, to Inverness. So can you tell us what that experience was like, you know, taking charge of a, a large institution uh, and and leading it from the other side of the world? Mm. Um, well, uh, it actually started before then. And obviously we had COVID around all of last year and that was the recruitment process for me. And normally you go through a recruitment process, often you do some video conference calls, but there's always a final uh, interview process, which is face-to-face, but COVID prevented that and I had to conduct all of that recruitment process by Zoom, by a medium like this. So it kind of set me up, I suppose, for um, after I was announced as the incoming uh, and um, the next principal and vice-chancellor of UHI, uh, you know, the medium of being able to use video conference. So um, COVID's been managed very differently in Australia. Um, it has been in lockdown for an extraordinary period of time. I think Melbourne has, as a, as a city, been in lockdown more than any other city um, around the world. Um, and, and what that meant was, as a, as a discrete island, uh, Australia locked its borders, both inbound and outbound. So 
Um, I was unable to leave for quite a period of time. Of course, there was the normal um, processes that you go through. Only with COVID, they've been conflated with a lot more um, degree of red tape uh, in terms of getting those approvals. And it took almost six months to, to achieve all that. So I took up post on the 1st of February. It was the day of our 10th anniversary to the day. Um, I think it was a nice coincidence. It wasn't one that I'd chosen specifically, but um, certainly for our public relations and our media and advancement teams, it, we, we could use that to right. our advantage. But from you know my perspective, I suppose a few a few of the challenges. I mean, the first was the time difference. Um, mm. Started off as eleven hours time difference. So you know, if we're having a four o'clock meeting here, I'm still up at three o'clock in the in the morning uh, in, in Australia. Uh, luckily, with daylight saving on both sides of the equator, that that shortened to um, uh, to nine hours. Uh, but still, it was working through the night um, by and large. I think the second part was, you know, what was really trying to establish relationships with people. Um, and, you know, we, we, we've kind of come become used to now doing video conferencing, but um, uh, we, when you're coming in as a new person into an organisation, you want to build relationships across the organisation and also out with the organisation, trying to establish those relationships was particularly difficult, maybe more so at one o'clock in the morning. I'm still wearing a tie and a shirt at one o'clock in the morning, which in an Australian sort of summer uh, was quite was quite beguiling. Um, and then maybe the third was really life work balance. I'm just trying to mm. get you know a sense of balance. If you're working through the night, you're sleeping through the day. How then do you sure yeah you know um, uh, gear up? How, how do you accommodate your family routine and your normal routines? Um, so establishing that was was somewhat difficult. I think I got into a pattern and a rhythm. By the time we'd got all the approvals and we came over, so much so that when I landed here in Scotland and in Venice, I didn't suffer any jet lag because I think I've been working through right. it. <laughs> it was pretty. It was pretty good. So no jet lag, and as you get older, you do suffer from bit from jet lag. But on this occasion, yeah. you know, minimal minimal impact. So hit the ground running in terms of the job. Well, I think you you certainly earned that benefit. So you you arrived in July, and I mean, had you been to? to the highlands and islands of, of Scotland before? Yeah, I had. Um, and and we, we, my wife and I um, had come to the highlands and islands um, sort of uh, when we were in our early 20s, not long after leaving um, secondary school. And it's a bit of a sort of Australians have a real way of sort of saying, oh, well, let's go to the UK or go to Europe for a sort of, you know, for that year sort of gap. And, and we certainly had done that. Um, and we came, we came to um, to England, and we spent a, I think, a whole month here in the Highlands and Islands, and we just loved it. I mean, it's just, you know, that that um, for the first time visitor to drive up from Edinburgh, you know, through the Cairngorms, and just look at the stunning scenery, and we just fell in love with it. Um, at, later on, professionally, I mean, many years later, in 2016, I had the opportunity to come and visit the right. University of Highlands and Islands, and actually, you know, come to Ness Walk. Uh, and meet the staff here and the executive team. Who who would have known then that Ness Walk would have become, you know, the place where I am today? I'm sitting here in an office in Ness Walk, and you wouldn't have thought that, you know, those two dots would have connected. I mean, for, from a, a sort of a personal perspective, the timing was just right. I mean, my wife and I, we, we, we were very keen to move over, very keen to take, you know, uh, a new challenge on at this time in our life. And um, so we arrived here in the height of summer. People told me not to get used to it because the summer will disappear. Uh, we settled in Venice really quickly. I mean, it's a breathtaking place, lovely people. Um, strange pronunciation of some of the towns, but look, no complaints, just just, just loving uh, and, and really settling into uh, into the community here in Inverness. What was it like actually working 
leading the university in situ. I mean, were there any surprises in terms of, because you must have built up a bit of an impression about what the, the campus was like and so on. And, uh, you know, what was it like in reality? Were there any surprises, good or bad? Um, no, not really. We'd, we'd, been, we'd been here before, so obviously we'd known um, Inverness. Uh, we, we hadn't been outside Inverness to some of the other campuses and the colleges across the breadth of, of UHI. I mean, UHI is a big institution geographically. It, it's the um, length and breadth of the highlands and islands. Obviously, we're in Murray and Perthshire as well. So well, I think somebody told me it's about the size of Belgium in terms of its geographical space. Um, and we're a large institution and, you know, I'm sort of on the tail end. I'm in my fourth month. I'm sort of on the tail end now of having visited all of all of those colleges. I've got a couple more to do. I mean, I think I think the sense of community was something that, um, you know, it's always something that drives regional communities in Australia, but, you know, the sense and the depth of a local community here in the Highlands and Islands is passionate. And, and that connection with place I think is really important. We've tried to strap that in in our new strategic plan. But, um, you know, from my perspective, no real surprises, um, you know, um, lots of delights and, and lots of new things. I mean, you know, th this is a process of learning and unlearning. Um, you know, you've been in a role in a, in a sector in Australia for a while and then you come here and, I mean, it's great to be able to bring some experience. But equally, it's sort of, it's terrific to be able to, um, to learn as well. Now, you've developed a very distinguished career in Australia as a clinical cytologist and uh, senior executive uh, in the university sector. So, I mean, what, what was the attraction of, of coming over to, to Scotland and taking this role? Yeah, I should disqualify. I mean, most people, when they hear the word cytologist, they, they often think of psychologists and think I'm in the area of psychology. <laughs> psychology is the study of cells and particularly around for disease. Um, and it's not a usual career, but it was one, you know, that took me into science and I really enjoyed um, that aspect of it. So whenever you see it on someone's CV, if I ever meet another cytologist, that we have a, we're a kindred spirit because we've spent a lot of our life looking down microscopes. I mean, I think the attraction here was threefold. I mean, the first is we're empty nesters. Our kids have grown up and they've kind of left home and um, COVID brought one of them back. But um, let's, let's just not take that too, too much into account. Um, for us, it was about, you know, a time in our life where we felt that we could do something different and moving overseas has all been something we'd wanted to do. It's rare, I think, in the in the education sector, particularly at this level, to, um, you know, to really get some um, overseas experience and sort of learn other sectors. So, you know, when this opportunity comes up, I mean, there's a purpose and a reason for it. So, you know, why not, why not go for it? I mean, the, th the third, of course, is that, you know, there's a, a real strong alignment to my mission, my values, um, and those of the university. I mean, it's a multi-campus, multi-college operations. I mean, it's got both further ed and higher ed, so it's a truly tertiary institution. I'd worked at similar institutions in Australia. So all of those things sort of um, aligned. Um, and, and I think I bring a wealth of experience to the role. Um, obviously, it's from another sector, but, you know, I listen a lot, I engage a lot, uh, I, I try and link um, as much as I can and, um, uh, and, and by virtue of that, try and lead as best as I can through this institution, through, you know, the next chapter of its development. Um, so those, I mean, more broadly, I mean, those were the attractions um, and, and they continue to be the attractions and they don't disappoint. And from your experiences so far, Todd, how, how does the Scottish university environment compare to Australia? And as we're, this is obviously a business event on, particularly thinking in terms of connections with industry, research, startups, mm. et cetera? Mm. Um, well, great question. I, I, the same but different, if I can put it that way. I mean, I think, you know, I think Scotland is certainly a leader in many ways. Um, 
you know, got a government priority uh, linked to an economic recovery plan. I mean, that's been, you know, part of the manifesto and you can sort of see it rolling out. I think there's a genuine value placed on, on um, colleges and, and universities, new knowledge generation. I think there's a general understanding uh, for our ability to be able to use research and development opportunities to commercialise those. They are solving practical uh, problems and solutions. And I think, I think there's a closer association with business and, um, and universities in Scotland. That would be my initial sort of reflections. I mean, <clears throat> one of the things that Scotland's doing really well at the moment is making the transition from oil and gas to renewables. And we can see this being played out at the moment that the discussions at COP26. I mean, government and business are, and universities are all sort of coming together to try and solve some of those problems. I've talked about this at length, actually, in terms of what I describe as the new social contract that universities have. I mean, universities are public institutions by and large. Um, we are predominantly funded through the public purse. Um, uh, we, we, we're in the knowledge generation and knowledge creation business um, and transfer business. Um, and, and, you know, for many of our students, they come here to get the skills and the knowledge to acquire jobs. And I think this connection between business, the university sector and government is really critical. Um, and I'm not suggesting you all have to be in each other's pockets, I think, but you've got to have healthy relationships and understand the contributions that you make to building sustainable and vibrant communities, particularly in regional and local settings that we have here in the Highlands and Islands. I think, you know, Australia is largely a resource country. I mean, it's still selling its coal and its oil. Um, exports are huge. I think they're number one and number two on their exports. I mean, their switch to renewables is much slower. I mean, I don't see many solar panels here in, in Scotland, but almost everybody has one in, in Australia for their central heating or for their electricity. But that's where it stops. You don't see, you don't see much, you know, um, many other renewables. I mean, you can see part of that being played out in COP26 this week mm -hmm. between Australia and I think other nations around, you know, the value of um, <clears throat> that Australia places on its natural mineral resources, coal and iron ore. Um, and its inability, I think, to move fairly quickly to the renewables. Um, Scotland is a leader. I think Scotland has the edge on that. And Scotland does, I'm sorry, Australia does have in its, in its um, something I haven't seen here yet, but it may be, it may be in effect. Um, Australia does have a number of policies around um, research and development incentives, whether it be tax breaks or others, um, to encourage business to engage with universities and create those partnerships for new knowledge and then the conversion of that, that tech transfer. Um, and, and there are uh, wonderful um, environments and communities to be part of. So the Business Higher Education Roundtable is an example of that where, you know, business and higher education come together regularly to celebrate the work that they do, you know, conjointly. So um, I haven't dealt, dealt that far in the Scottish um, system, but, um, you know, on balance, I, I, I'll give the edge to Scotland at this point. <laughs> Hopefully, the, the same will be repeated in the rugby on Saturday. But maybe that's a more um, I've got the opportunity of going over in uh, on Sunday. So I, I, don't, I don't have brought some yellow with me. So um, that's <laughs> okay. I'm not sitting um, entirely in the Scottish section of the, of the, of the crowd. Sorry, Phil. Well, hopefully, it'll be a great game. Now, you mentioned COP26, which obviously everybody's talking about at the moment. Do you see a particular role for the university in terms of the, the, the battle for global sustainability? Yeah, we're all trying to get a bit of airspace around this, aren't we? Um, uh, or every university or college or, you know, government. I mean, I mean, it, it is the hot topic and it has been, I think, for some time. 
I mean, I think from the university's perspective and certainly, you know, from the leadership that we're trying to apply here, I mean, it runs at many levels. And, and the first is, of course, is that, you know, we're, we're trying to be an institution which is working its way to, you know, net zero carbon. And I think, and I think, I mean, those, those, those requirements are going to come in anyway, but I think it's the moral obligation that we have as a, a large institution. We've still got work to do. And we've got wonderful researchers in and around energy and, you know, renewables and, um, and, uh, and and marine studies and others, and we've got quite a number of of, um, of our staff who are speaking or running, you know, parallel sessions here at COP26 um, this week and next week. So, you know, just to acknowledge a few. I think Mark Shiner's um, talking as a curriculum leader up at Maritime um, Studies at Orkney. We've got Jane Downs, who, who's um, a director of our Archaeology Institute. So we've got we've got a range of folk and we've got um, also we've got, you know, a number of students presenting as well at COP26. So I think it's about leading um, from the front on this. Um, I haven't done justice. There's many other staff and students that, that are attending, um, but they're there representing the university and the university partnership. And, you know, in our new strategic plan, climate change is one of the enabling themes. It's one of the themes that runs across now. We've still got a lot of work to do, but it's harnessing both our intent, but also the research that we're doing and our ability to be able to move the organisation to be more sustainable and um, in its approach and have less of a footprint on the environment is something that I think, you know, we should be aspiring um, to achieve. So um, let, let's wait and see what happens from COP26. But, you know, when the politicians have all gone, um, uh, the, the rest may sit back and say, well, uh, we, we go back to our mission here and our mission is to be a more sustainable organisation and to leave, you know, the world in a better place than, than, we, than we found it or, or in any way we've contributed to, to, to climate change. Great. Well, let's let's take a little trip back in time now, back to where okay. it all started. So back to Australia. So where, where did you grow up, Todd? And what was family life like? And, and what at that stage, what did you think you would be doing for a career? Oh, all right. Okay. So let's take me back. Um, so anyone who's from Australia might understand some of these references. I'm ha happy to do those. So look, I, I was raised in far north Queensland, or in, in Australia, they just call that FNQ. So in, in Australia, of course, as you can tell from my accent, we kind of slide through our syllables really easily. So it's <laughs> FNQ. Um, so I was born in Cairns, far north Queensland. I'm born in Cairns. I was raised in Cairns, far north Queensland. I went to school there. I sort of went to um, university in far north Queensland. I only knew dry and I only knew wet. So you have a dry season, you have a wet season. So the beauty of living in Inverness is I'm watching all these beautiful autumnal colours, you know, and the leaves falling. It's terrific. I think I grew up in T-shirts and shorts and I went to the beach, sunshine all year round. I'm kind of painting an idyllic picture that you probably see in the tourism commercial. Um, I grew up outside, but basically I loved exploring. I loved, you know, um, getting out into the open. I was naturally inquisitive and that led to, uh, I think, uh, you know, a real love for science and for exploration and discovery. Um, I grew up in a good family environment. Um, you know, I felt like I had a number of freedoms. It was a, an environment in which we could discuss things and it was open and, and creative. Uh, and, and, and I was just a person that loved to investigate and look at things and form my own little sort of hypothesis on different things. And science was always going to be a direction for me. I was always going to work towards that area. They were the areas of greatest strength that I had at school. And, of course, I... Um, later, obviously, went to university and started to study some of that that science. Um, so for me, my childhood was was a good one. I mean, I, I have no complaints. Uh, I've tried to do the same, and we all do as parents. We try and you know create the same kind of environment for 
you know, our, our own families. And, um, you know, I'm proud to say I've got two, two adult children, they're 24, 25 actually, and, um, and 23. And um, um, uh, regrettably, they did not follow my footsteps and go into science. They're both uh, artists in their own career. One's a musician and one's a graphic designer. Okay. Um, if I tried to talk to them about biology, I think their eyes just sort of glaze <laughs> over. But, um, but equally, I'd find it hard to talk about, you know, music and, and um, painting and, and graphic design. But, you know, I've been there uh, and, and listened to it. I think that's the environment of having a, you know, a creative and an open family in which you can have those, explore those boundaries. And I certainly felt that as I grew up. Great. Well, could could you tell us, kind of talk us through your your education and career and how that developed in Australia before you you arrived with us? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm sort of I'm in my sort of mid to late fifties. So, how long have you got, Fraser? Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, as I said, I love science in all its forms. I wanted to be a scientist, and I became a scientist, and I loved being a scientist, and I became a biomedical scientist, and. As a function of that, I, I got attracted to cells and tissues and the way in which, you know, they operate both normally and abnormally. And I love being a, a cytologist and I've explained, you know, part of that is looking down microscopes and, you know, not working out the relationship between those. As I did that, I, I found myself, you know, attracted to not just the normal way cells and tissues operate, but the abnormal way. So this is about, you know, physiology and then you've got pathophysiology, so you're studying disease on top of that. And one thing led to another, and I just sort of became really fascinated with cancer, and not in a strange way, but just, you know, a really curious way. It kind of it was part of the childhood, and I just sort of wanted to understand more about cancer and how cancer affects, you know, people and, you know, affects tissues and, and why it is what it, what it is. So I, I ended up studying that at university and then, you know, obviously doing an honours and a PhD in and around cancer and cancer treatments. Um, that led to a career in a university, Charles Sturt University, it's in a regional setting in New South Wales in Australia, um, for which I, you know, I led biomedical science for a period of time. I developed some courses and some programs in, in and around cytopathology and histology and other things. So, you know, you, you, you kind of follow your passion. At some point, you know, somebody recognised some talent in me and said, you know, we want you in charge of a group of staff and then we want you in charge of a school and then we want you in charge of, you know, um, a, a few more. And before you know it, you've kind of left behind the science and your PhD students and you find yourself surrounded in a, you know, a large faculty or you're managing a large portfolio. And, and I love that. I mean, I'm genuinely interested in people. I like to know how they think and tick and the contributions that they make. And all of this led up to, I think, a career in regional universities. In Australia, we call it regional universities. So anything outside the metropolitan cities and in Australia, they all live on the coast by and large. Um, so everywhere inside the coast is called regional Australia. And an and equal, I think, a third to, you know, 45% uh, of Australians live in, in regional settings. Inverness is the second largest city I've ever lived in. Um, right. so, you know, I feel like I've come to the big smoke, <laughs> if, I, if I can put it that way. Um, so, yeah, I always worked at regional universities. I've got a passion for regional communities. I've got a passion to see those grow and develop and, you know, to meet those students of whatever persuasion whoever's coming and whatever choices they make and provide them an opportunity to achieve their goals because I had that and you know I didn't naturally feel like I just stepped in I went to a regional university when I was in far north Queensland so for me it was just a natural iteration of my career I think I've made some good choices haven't always made the best choices but you learn by experience don't you and um, and here I find myself you know, on the other side of the world, uh, le leading an institution whose values align so, you know, strongly with my own. I'm meeting some wonderful people. 
uh, we get on straight away because we have shared mission and shared sort of responsibilities and shared passion for the communities. Um, it's a different environment to be in, but, you know, and it's a challenging one at times, um, but it's such a rewarding one. So, you know, I'm very happy where I am, you know, at the moment. I'm very happy being um, being Vice-Chancellor of the University of Islands and Islands. Now, uh, you know, everyone has a few sort of bumps in the road during the course of their, their career. You, you talked just then about um, learning from your experiences, Todd. So I just wonder if uh, any particular highs and lows in your career to date and any lessons that you've drawn from them? I, mean, I think... I think, you know, in our lives we have both a public life and a private life and, you know, we have highs and lows in both and sometimes they're played out on a bigger scale than others. Um, and, um, um, you know, in terms of my highs, I mean, you know, in the public area, I mean, I, one, of, one of the greatest things I think I have is just a joy to have this as a, as a part of my role is really celebrating um, really uh, the achievements of others. Now, I'm, in a, I'm in a wonderful sector for every year. Uh, you know, we celebrate the graduations of, you know, hundreds and thousands of, of people uh, who have, you know, parked a part of their life, <clears throat> um, put that aside, dedicated, you know, made a commitment to education, gone through, uh, whether it's a further education course, you know, apprenticeship or a traineeship, undergraduate, PhD, um, you know, really made a solid commitment, made a sacrifice, and then they make this achievement. And nothing makes me happier to see see that, um, you know, those students walk across the stage and receive their testimony. I think, you know, for me, it's a, that's that public acclamation of the work that they do. Similarly, I mean, meaning staff who, you know, have achievements, you know, and, and achieve their goals, whether it's a grant income or, you know, whether it's, you know, just managing their class or whether it's, you know, promotions and just recognition for the work that they do. I mean, I get a lot of, I think, a lot of sense of public affirmation out of that. I mean, you know, on the highs and the private, I mean, you, you set goals for yourself and, you know, folk in, you know, in careers like mine at this sort of level, we're, we're always writing lists, we're always thinking about what the year unfolds and how we get there. I mean, having loved ones around and family to celebrate those on a personal level is really important because you can't do it by yourself. I do think, I do think more, more and more we, we, we're, such, we're such busy individuals that we don't spend enough time just stopping, pausing and celebrating. And, you know, I've always had a... Uh, a sort of a rule that you know, if there's a you know a a, a major high in your life, like getting a, a role like this one, you should just spend a bit of time and just acknowledge the sacrifices that you've been to to get to that point. And just you know, it's not it's not grandstanding by any means, but it is just just acknowledging that you've had to put you know some sacrifice in, much the same way as our students do. I mean, you you can't you can't go up without giving up, and and you've really got to you've got to sacrifice things. I mean, again, I'm on, on the lows. I won't dwell too many on the lows, but, you know, they're either played out in the public sphere or the private sphere, and if they're in the public ones, well, having setbacks is just part of it. Um, people tend to see more of your achievements and acknowledge those and don't see the, um, you know, all of the setbacks you have. I mean, I've always had in my mind a, you know, a long-term view of everything, so you do have a setback, but, you know, it's the 10-minute 10 week, 10 month rule. And, you know, in 10 minutes, it feels like it's the end of the world. In mm -hmm. 10 weeks, you've kind of come, in 10 months, you've moved on. Um, mm -hmm. And it's this law of impermanence that nothing lasts forever. I mean, nothing lasts forever, it really doesn't. And the contributions that I make uh, over the period of time, you know, I'm at UHI, uh, will we'll, um, at some point, um, you know, be superseded by other accomplishments that others are coming behind. I mean, I think on the private, you know, we, we tend to be a bit critical or hypercritical of ourselves. So, you know, from, you know, there are some, you know, expectations you set of yourself and, 
and, and, and you don't always meet those. I mean, the, the mantra I've always said to myself is you control you. Um, and, and when you're having a downtime, um, you control you. Don't get too, too, you know, too carried away with it. Acknowledge that, you know, tide goes out, the tide comes in, and sometimes you, you're being buffeted around. Other times, you, you know, you're on, you're on, um, you're on a, 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 good, a good occasion or a good period. And I've always been reflective and always thought that, you know, the best way to be a, you know, a good contributor both at a personal level and a public level is to think and learn and to accept that, you know, you don't know it all um, and, and you're always going to continue to learn. So from my perspective, you know, um, th this is always a learning exercise and I suspect it will be until, uh, you know, until, until the, the last day I have. So <laughs> you, you want to be that kind of person that reflects all the time. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, do you think that a lot of um, you know, senior uh, leaders in the higher education world have a slightly different way of, of managing and leading because of this reflective, the reflective skills they've developed through through their academic career? I think they do. I, I mean, I think leadership, um, you know, it's, it's now become a sort of a science within itself in terms of the study that's around leadership. I mean, I think I don't think leadership is is difficult to understand. I think it is difficult to apply. It does require a higher level of self awareness um, and, and an ability to you know press that pause button and not become too critical. I think at the end of the day, what folk look for in their leaders is a sense of authenticity and humility. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if you think about if you think about the leaders to which. Um, you, you know, you're naturally drawn and you see as mentors or people, um, they've usually got those two things, authenticity and humility. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, I sit, I'm, I'm very fortunate to sit in a, in, in a role like this, but um, I make no greater contribution than anybody else across the institution. You have to keep reminding yourself that. Um, I, I, I occupy a role that gives me an umbrella view of a wonderful organisation and, mm -hmm. and you never take that for granted. And I think leadership is like that, never taking it for granted and just acknowledging that you're always going to be on that learning curve um, rather than saying, well, I've got all the answers and come to me. I don't think that's the style of leadership that we're looking for, um, you know, these days. I actually think leadership is about humility, it's about service and it's mm -hmm. about you know, recognising the individual um, good that everybody contributes to the organisation. People choose to come and work at UHI. Students choose to come and study at UHI. Mm -hmm. You never forget that. Um, and um, and that's, you know, part, I think, in, in my view, um, part of the, um, the privilege that we have as we hold these roles. Now, I've still got a few more questions for you, Todd. Oh, I should probably you. also mention that, I'm not sure if the the tech the IT wizards behind the scenes are going to open up the ability for everyone to answer ask questions later on. But if or the other way of doing it is if you just want to send a question through on the chat, that would be good. I think we've got a couple of comments there. But um, so, Todd, coming back to you know, the, your current role, um, I know there's quite a lot of ambitions and plans for growth at uh, UHI. I mean, what, what what are the priorities for you? What are the things you really want to achieve over the next year or two? Oh, heaps. I mean, you know, this year we celebrate our 10th anniversary. We're a young university. Um, we're probably in our teenage years, aren't we, as we're moving into it. So we're youthful, we're agile. I mean, I think we're still trying to work out what the future looks like for us. And we do talk about it in terms of our third chapter. I mean, that's now become part of the language across the institution. So our first chapter was the idea of a university. And um, believe it or not, that started hundreds of years ago. There's actually... There's actually um, textbooks that talk about, you know, the, the, the need for a, you know, a, 
a learning centre in the Highlands and Islands. But, um, but you know, that all came to fruition around the Millennium Institute period, and um, and that is our first that is our first chapter. Our second chapter is defined by um, degree awarding powers, and obviously with um, uh, with us becoming a, a university in our own right, and has been about building that university profile across the Highlands and Islands. Our third chapter is what we do next, and it is really about a pivot point for us and, and how we build on um, the history of the past, but also um, in developing the future for us. I mean, I think I think one of the great things that we are, you know, an organisation which is a partner organisation with 12 other colleges, you know, some large, some small, some specialist research, you know, some uh, colleges with further ed and higher ed. It's about harnessing all of that energy. So we've recently, um, you know, approved, or the court has approved a new strategic plan. It was developed in, in collaboration with the 12 colleges it was, and with students and with community. Um, we've called this plan Daring to be Different because we don't see ourselves as being the same and we want to carve out a niche. Our ambitions are not the same as other metropolitan universities in Scotland, nor should they be. Um, we have a different mission and, and we need to create that area for us and, and develop it further. It's built around four things. So obviously our tertiary education is really important. So that's one of them. Um, um, so, you know, for your viewers, I mean, tertiary education in, in this country is both um, learning, um, sorry, um, further education, but it's also higher education as well. And, and we teach across that continuum um, um, seamlessly. The second is research and research impact. Of course, we're a research institution. We've got lots of researchers and research centres. I talked about the Centre for History as an excellent centre in terms of the work that it's doing, but we've got many centres. So it's about developing our research capability and, um, and we want to attract new researchers into the region so that they settle here wherever they want to across the Highlands and Islands and, um, and to be able to do that. And then, and then the other two uh, areas of focus will be around um, enterprise, and, and, you know, this is where our city deals sit in. This is where, you know, our, our ideas around internationalisation of, of, of our business. It's about our outreach. Um, and, and it's also about our ability to be a more sustainable um, institution. And we've talked about that in relation to, you know, climate change and, and sustainability on, 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 the, um, on, the, um, on the climate and our economy. Um, and then the fourth is what we call engagement. So this is both internal and external engagement. It's about recognising that we are a national, I'm sorry, a, a large regional university, but we are focused locally in those regions. So, you know, when I go to Stornoway, which I was up, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it, it's about recognising that the contributions that the college there do is really about building, you know, the, the islands. Whether you go to Shetland or Orkney or whether you go to... Uh, Argyle or Perth or Murray. I mean, th these are, you know, these are um, uh, parts of the organisation which are deeply rooted in those communities. So engagement is really important to us, and it's you know one of the pillars and things that we want to develop over the next, we'll say three to five years. But um, it, it's got an acronym that pick, was picked up fairly quickly, I think, on day one, and that's it, it spells tree. So it's really easy to remember: tertiary education, research, enterprise, and engagement. It's really good for a vice chancellor who's always asked that question to be able to remember that um, time and time again. But you know, daring to be different has a sense of kind of mm. you know energy about it, um, and also a bit of gusto. And what, what do we want for the future? Well, let's dare to be different. Let's not criticise it. Let's just have a you know a, a real good go and, and see where it takes us. Great. Now, um, I saw something on your uh, biography on the on the website, Todd, that intrigued me. And 
uh, said that you have a, a deep passion for regional communities and the power of place, which you probably just referenced a little bit in those answers. But I wonder if you could explain a bit more about what that means. Well, I guess, you know, it's the way I describe myself. I've used that expression power of place um, time and time again because it's really important uh, for me because I'm owning the place. I mean, we are products of the places in which we grow up in. And, you know, I'm sort of learning this a little bit more about Scotland than Scots because the diaspora of the Scots is, you know, across the world and there's so many Scottish towns, uh, named Scottish towns in Australia. Uh, and, um, you know, I came from one. I was in Armadale before I came here, but that's spelled with an I, not an A, so I have to clarify that each time. I mean, it's it, it's part of saying, well, you know, you, you, you can take the person out of the place, but you can never take the place out of the person. And that's true for all of us to, to some degree. And understanding that, that there is a power associated with that. Um, and that power is really about the energy that we bring to our roles and our jobs and, you know, our, our communities. And, of course, life isn't one indivisible whole. You're kind of, you're not coming to work to work. You're coming to work to live and, and you want to contribute to your community. So for me, it's really about, you know, that, that attachment we have with power of place. I mean, I think... You know, my my life's work is today has been about trying to build sustainable um, communities and and um, and to grow those both in terms of its capacity and its capability. And I learned a lot about this actually working in Australia with Indigenous communities. I mean, Indigenous communities have have a connection with land, which um, was something for I suppose, you know, a, a middle-aged white man that took me some time to grasp. And it was wonderful to work with those communities and be accepted by. Um, those elders, those aunties and uncles, to understand the importance of, of place and land and the connection that they have. Um, and it's reflected everywhere you go. I mean, everybody has this connection with land, but to, to see it being played out in Indigenous, Aboriginal, Indigenous communities and, and, and um, um, within the school and universities as well was really powerful for me. So it's a driving force. At the end of the day, I, you know, what will ever happen, I'll, I'll probably never work in a in a large metropolitan area. I don't mind going to them from time to time, but, you know, I do feel a little, you know, a little sort of claustrophobic. I, I like open spaces. Though I am in a big city now, I do feel it from time to time. Hmm. In terms of the, the the land that you find yourself walking along now and the land that you, you, you come from, what, 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 do you, what do you enjoy most about being in Scotland and what do you miss about Australia? Oh, um, lots to love about um, Scotland. I mean, I haven't stopped. I mean, I got asked this question yesterday, actually. I was up at the Highland Theological College having a conversation and they said, what do you love about, um, you know, about Scotland at the moment? I said, well, believe it or not, I actually like to do like the weather. And they said, oh, we haven't lived here long enough. <laughs> and I said, well, for a person that's only experienced wet and dry uh, for much of their life, to experience a, a real autumn like this, I mean, we arrived, it was 27, 28 degrees in July, um, shorts and T-shirt again, um, you know, to experience weather. I mean, I, I, there is no bad weather, is there? It's just sort of your mental, um, you know, sort of view of, of how to take it. And, you know, we appreciate when you've been in lockdown for such a long period of time. Um, got, you know, we, we hope we never go back into lockdown again, but if, if we do, none of us will be, complaining or if you're taking a walk in the rain um, if you're back in lockdown you'd be wanting to do that so obviously the countryside is really important because I've always been outdoors I mean meeting people genuinely meeting people and understand their connections and you know why they do what they do is really important to me I, I do enjoy that um, the language is is good you know I'm trying to learn a little bit of Gaelic um, you know I'm struggling I suppose you know brain cells aren't as good as they used to be I should have started with a second language a long time ago 
mean, the language is built to be confusing for people from outside Scotland, just the way you name things and how you pronounce things. So I, I, I do approach that with a bit of trepidation each and every time I've got a PA that laughs at me when I, I pronounce different, different um, and she just says, yeah, you'll, you'll get it, Todd, it'll happen. I mean, one of the great things for me is about the learning and unlearning that you go through at this mm. time of life. I mean, you know, you can get into a real rhythm in, in your in your career, um, which it all feels the same. I mean, it's not for me. I mean, I've, I've turned it upside down, literally upside down, and then learning a lot, and I'm unlearning a lot as well. I mean, I still I still do say dollars from time to time, and I get you know the old <laughs> eyebrow, but you know, and to, to learn that language and just to you know, to be able to you know, say to say things differently it does actually reprogram your brain, which mustn't be a bad thing. Um, what do I miss about Australia? Well, obviously the family. I mean, you know, we came over here at a time when it was a one-way ticket. I mean, you know, the borders were still closed and there was no um, hint that you could go back to visit family for whatever reason. And, you know, we've had, um, you know, some unfortunate incidents in the last couple of months in terms of a bereavement in our family. We weren't able to go back, you know, to support family around that. So it's been very difficult. Um, the borders are opening up now and I'm planning a visit to go back and see the children at some point. I mean, we catch up fairly regularly. But, you know, it's just those connections. I've spent, you know, many, 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 many years building. Um, video is fine, but it'd be great to get back at some point just to, you know, to enjoy a bit of sunshine and, and maybe um, enjoy their company as well. So other than that, no complaints. Um, uh, Australia is where it's always been and it will always be there. So lots going on, lots to entertain you here. Are you still get a chance to peer down a microscope? No, I haven't done that for a long time. In <laughs> fact, I did a tour over at um, our life. Um, we've got a Centre for Life um, Sciences and I did a tour over there. It's over at Anne Loughran, actually, and, um, here in Inverness, and I did a tour and I, I, I did see some, you know, some biomedical equipment and um, I just got another warm feeling straight away. I, I didn't touch anything, don't worry. Um, <laughs> I went, oh, I know what that is and oh, I know what that is. And uh, it would be great at some point to get back into the lab, but um, let's just wait and see. Now, a question that we always ask in these sessions, Todd, uh, if you were to be able to go back to the young Todd as he's uh, setting out on his career, would you have any advice for him? Um, well, uh, the mullet was probably not a good idea <laughs> when I was one of my younger years. And no, I'm not going to show anybody at UHI that, that picture. Um, that probably wasn't a great idea, but I mean, we do, we are slaves to fashion at some point in our life. I mean, I think more seriously, uh, you know, be bold and courageous. I mean, your life shrinks or expands depending on your courage and you've really got to be courageous. And sometimes it's, it's not easy to be courageous. Um, you know, that would be something I would have said to myself, uh, you know, um, with, with the hindsight of all this experience is, you know, be courageous with some of your steps. I mean, the other one is I, I'm like, if my, my children were listening to what I'm about to say to you now, they would roll their eyes because I said this um, um, for probably the last 20 years. And it's a really good one to say to teenage children, um, work on the situation before the situation works on you. In other words, if you've got something that you know you should be doing, you should get onto it because at some point it's going to come back to you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't, you can't, as I did, you know, ride, ride the Loch Ness ETAP without any training. You know you have to do the training if you want to do that. Loch Ness ETAP's the sort of a 60-mile course. Um, so work on the situation before the situation works on you. I think there were times in my um, both personal and professional career where I kind of let a few of those things slip and I wasn't as disciplined. I've learned from that and I'm far more disciplined right. now. So I don't know if my younger self would have listened. I think he would have just sort of rolled his eyes with his mullet and just sort of said, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, hopefully he might have listened. 
Many thanks to Todd. At that point, we then moved on to take questions from the audience. If you would like to attend one of these events in the future, online or in person, visit sbn.scot to find out more. And thanks very much to you for listening. We'll be back again soon. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.